0: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the In the Beginning podcast. I'm Pastor George Gray, your host, and uh, it has been a while since I have done a solo podcast with you. I've been doing a series with a friend of mine named Joe Turk, and uh, the other thing I've been doing while well, things have been kind of where they have been, um, I've been posting my Sunday morning sermons on the podcast um, as I've been going just to kind of keep some content on there. Um Time catches up with you and you really only have so many hours in a day. So, um, it's been, it's been helpful to be able to do that. And I've loved doing the podcast with Joe. It's been a lot of fun. Um, but, um, uh, one of the things that happened last week is we've been, I've been doing this series on the, uh, it's a short series on the end times, um, and the church. And not so much on end times doctrine, but on just end times conversations and, and the role of the church within those conversations. And last week the audio got kind of screwed up. Uh, in the message and I didn't really feel comfortable posting it because uh, I really hate putting messed up audio on the on the podcast. So what I thought I would do this week is just sit down and kind of go back over it a little bit in this format because what this allows me to do, uh, this allows me to actually spend a little more time with things because I'm not in a service. When I'm in a Sunday morning service, I actually have to try to stay within a 40-45 minute time frame because we air those messages on the radio, and that's that's the time slot that we have. So I've got to kind of stay there, um, and uh, like any preacher, I tend to be a little long-winded, and when you're dealing with difficult topics like this, it's very easy to go along. So I didn't want to spend a ton of time doing that, but at the end of the day, I still want to have a good uh, – I hate to use the word product, but I think you understand what I'm saying, um, for people to listen to. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to go back through that conversation of part two in this series. Part one, if you have not listened to it yet, I really recommend that you listen to it because it's going to play play very much into what we're doing here. Um, but this format, I think, gives me a little bit more freedom to – uh uh, to, to dig into this a little bit more. Because the way I approached this was quite different from what you might be thinking uh, when it comes to an end times message. So here's, here's basically how this is, this is going to work. So the first week what we did was we talked about Um, the, the problems with end times theory. There are so many end times doctrines and so many end times ideas. It's actually hard to keep it straight. Um, you don't know, you know, are you pre-mill, post-mill, mid-mill? You know, are you uh, pre-rapture, post-rapture, mid-rapture? Um, you know, are you, are, are, do you think that things have already happened? Are you a historicist? Are you a futurist? Um, and everyone's convinced that they're right. Uh, but the funny part is that I don't I don't think any of us are. I mean, of course, I have my own views about end times. Of course I do. I've been studying the Bible long enough where it's just a natural thing. Um And I'm sure most of you have your own theories about end times. But one of the things that we have to understand, and this is what I tried to get to last week, is that the Bible does not give us enough information to be absolutely 100% rock-solid certain about what is going to happen in the end. We know the end will happen, and when it does, it will become clear to us, what that is but until then it's actually not we're not i i don't personally believe that we're actually capable of discerning 100 percent what the end will look like i think we have an idea of what will happen around those times but i don't think we have an idea what's going to happen directly at the end um, but we do know a couple of things and this is what i got to in part two. Um and one of the conversations I had with someone after this message was they weren't exactly sure how this fit into a discussion on the end times. They said, you know, it didn't feel very uh very like a part two y um uh, uh to it. And I want to make sure that I, I clarify that because I totally understand how that can be the view. But I need you to uh to be thinking about something as we continue. Um the way I'm approaching this second piece is not in it's not in connection to end times doctrine. It's in connection to an end times warning that the church has given. So the series is the end times and the church, not just the end times. So when the end comes, there are several things that the New Testament tells us to be looking for. Um, and two things very specifically uh, that we need to be paying attention to. Um, and, and we find those in uh, those two things. We find in Second Thessalonians uh Chapter 2, verse 3, and it reads like this It says, Let no one deceive you uh, by any means, for the day uh for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And then the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. So this falling away is the falling away of the church. It's the falling away of uh it's the church falling away from the truth, and the, the church actually falling into the warnings that Paul gives us all throughout the the New Testament. Uh we're constantly getting these warnings about false teachers about false doctrines and false Christs coming towards the end. Now, this isn't something new just for us today. I truly believe that we're in the end times, but this isn't something new just for us today. Uh, this is something that I think has been happening since the first century. If you listen to last week's message, you'll, you'll get a little bit more of an understanding of why I believe that. Um, but the warnings that Paul has given the church, they weren't just for people in a distant future. They were for them right then. And, uh, and I believe that what, what Paul is telling us is that we're not waiting for the last days. We're in the last days. And these are things that are going to be challenges for us as we go. And the, the, the one sign that we're going to be looking for is the falling away. That's the falling away of the church away from truth and into what is referred to as fables or lies or the doctrine of demons, however you want to say it. Um, but if you think about this, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 2, Peter gives us this warning. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. That's very important to remember that. And denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves with destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So when you look at this this. This warning that Paul gives the church in Thessalonica and then this warning that Peter has given the church, it helps you understand why these warnings are so important. It's not just that people will follow, uh, follow false teachers. People are always going to follow f- uh, false teachers. That's the reason why false teachers have so much pull. It's, it's why these cults can be so seductive. They know how to get inside. They know how to get uh, and attach themselves to your emotions, um, and, and pull you into this thing. But, This isn't new. This isn't something that is just kind of out of nowhere. This is something that has been happening to the church since the first century and even before. This isn't a new thing. Uh, So when you hear phrases like, in the last days, you know, or a time will come, that's not just them. This is very much us. Uh, And it's not a group of people in the distant future like, oh, these poor souls when this actually happens. This is happening today, and we can see it happening all over the world. So when you think about this the warnings to the church for the end days that these destructive heresies will be brought in by people we're seeing that today you're seeing this in the in the progressive church movement you're seeing this honestly in what I would co- I, what is commonly referred to as the hyper charismatic movement you're seeing a lot of these things happen uh and they're they're not they're not good they're not healthy they're not solid doctrine they're At best, creative, (laughs) creative lies, um, creative manipulations. There's someone who has an idea and they've applied it to theology and then they run it. And what we're going to do, what I'm hoping to do today, um, is to walk you through this and what I believe some of these false teachers are doing today and how they're, how they're approaching it. Um, and this may not be wonderfully, comfortable for a lot of people. Some of you have heard me teach on things like this before, some of you have not. Um, so I hope you would give it a listen. You may or may not agree with me at the end, but at the very least, you might be a little bit more informed about how this happens. So when we're talking about the falling away of the church, this is the one of the few things about the end times, in my opinion, it's the only thing about the end times that we actually have the ability to have input in. Everything else happens behind the scenes. We, we get to see it happen, and it should build our faith to let us know that God is still in charge of all these things. But the falling away of the church is something that we can directly impact because we can help people avoid it by staying staying consistent and staying with the truth. This is not an easy thing to do because it will put you on the outs with people. When you start to point out, you know, I'm sorry, that person might be a good guy, but they're not teaching the truth. They're not teaching according to god's word that is going to put you on the outs with people because at some point in time you're going to point at someone that they don't that they don't want you pointing at you're going to you're going to going to bring to um uh, you're going to bring to light the bad teaching of someone and it all it might offend them because they may like this person it also may offend them because they may actually want that to be true but when you actually compare it to Scripture and they find out that it's not, this can actually cause problems. So it takes a lot of courage. It honestly takes a lot of humility, and it needs to take a lot of patience. It's not something you should jump into hastily, and it's not something that you should do if you are not yourself submitted to some pretty significant training and understanding. Uh, because you've got to put your own views out there at the same time. We'll talk about that here in a second. But if this is something that we're supposed to do, how do we do this without becoming Divisive. How do we do this without becoming a tool of division? Right, because we're not supposed to be divisive within the church, but we are supposed to correct one another. Now, one of the things that people don't understand is, is that we are actually commanded to call out false teachers. I'm going to show you that here in just a second. Um, but first, how do we do this without becoming a tool of division? So, one of the things that I do uh, myself is that when I listen to people online, there are a lot of people online who love to point out false teachers. They just absolutely love it. Some of them are really good at it, and they do it really well. Other ones are really bad at it, and they do it very poorly. Um, so one of the things that I've gotten in the habit of doing is I don't listen to people online who only criticize, who only point out things that they don't think are right. If uh, I try to find people who not only are willing to do it but are also willing to teach at the same time, you know, so one of the one of the reasons why I spend a lot of time teaching on these types of platforms is because uh, you can't bring to light the false teachings of one person's if you're not willing to put yours out there to also be judged. So it becomes, it becomes difficult because some people love to point it out, but they don't want to tell you what they believe because someone may come back and criticize them. And, you know, we we don't want that. We don't want to be treated the same way we treat somebody else, uh, so to speak. So one of the guys that I had actually listened to, and you may have, may have heard this person. I'm not going to name because it doesn't matter. Um, they actually did an entire video talking about John MacArthur's expensive watch. Now, this is someone who actually, from my understanding, actually Likes John MacArthur, um, but uh, I don't have a problem with John MacArthur. I'm not a Calvinist or a cessationist, but doctrinally I think we actually align pretty well. Um, But this person ridiculed him for like 15 minutes because he had I think it was like a $5,000 watch on or something like that. And you know how it would, it was prideful and boastful and and not right for someone his 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 position to 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 be putting something that you know that uh, that you know high, to be thinking of himself so highly and things like that and it was a it was a very strange video um and the only reason why I actually found it was because one of the other people that I listened to uh actually corrected this kid um because of the way he approached it, because he, this person obviously didn't do any research on what they were talking about. They got a hold of an idea, and they ran with it, and it basically turned around and kicked him in the head. Uh, because the the watch that he was talking about was a gift from John MacArthur's staff. It was a, He didn't buy it. It was a gift given to him. And at the same time, $5,000 for a watch? Seriously? You're going to criticize someone because of the value of a watch? Uh, you know you're not taking into consideration the amount of work that this person has put in, the amount of time they have they've have served their community faithfully and served God you know faithfully. and you're gonna uh, and uh, this is the way I put it on Sunday that you're gonna criticize someone because of the value of a watch and that watch probably had less of a value than the computer equipment that this person was using to make the video to criticize them. I mean, this is this is not a, this is not a not a big deal. Uh, it's It's silly to be focusing in, on that, when there are so many other things that need to be dealt with, and we're focusing in on someone's watch, you know, um, and a lot of people put out videos of, uh, preacher's shoes or whatever. What a waste of time, you know, just, just arguing about how someone is spending their own personal money, you know, and it's, it's just really silly, but we have to be better than that. We have to be better than that. We can't just be divisive for the sake of being divisive. Um, it makes us look silly. And it makes the gospel look worthless. It's not like there's, you know, why would I put my time and energy into this when everybody else is just being stupid about it? You know, if, if this is all the Christians can argue with and this is the depth of their, of their, uh, you know, doctrinal, uh, you know, uh, uh, standards, then, then really what are we doing? You know, so we have to approach this more carefully than just that. It, let's keep the things that are important, important and keep the things that are not important, not important right so secondly um do we know the difference between matters of preference things that are not important and things where hard lines really have to be drawn the places where things are important and these are extremely uh difficult things you know like for instance is this a salvation issue you know is this something that I that, that, that is directly going to impact someone's relationship with the lord if it's not then then what difference does it make the style of music that you listen to when you're worshiping It might not be something that I like, but I'm not going to tell you that you're not really worshiping because I don't know where your heart is in relationship to that. You know, there are guys online that I've, I've listened to that actually I think teach very well, but they get on these, on these side subjects of, you know, oh, this person is, uh, is, is listening to rock music when they worship. So obviously this isn't godly. (sighs) Now, granted, there are plenty of examples of churches out there that are not not worshiping whatsoever. At best, they're having a party on Sunday mornings. It's that's, that's, that's pretty clear that, that, that that's what's going on. And um, But at the same time, you know what? Maybe that's pleasing to God. I don't know. Uh, so I'm not going to care about that. That's not going to be something that I'm going to draw attention to uh, because I don't know where their heart is in relationship to that. And honestly, they've got to stand before God for that on their own. But what's being taught from the pulpit that's that's the places where where I think the hard line needs to be drawn what is actually being taught as doctrine what is being taught as salvation what is being taught in relationship to repentance and sin and uh, the the regenerative life and being born again what is being taught about these things I think that's where the line needs to be drawn and the other stuff needs to just be left where it is it's just not that important you know um being told what kind of clothes you can wear on Sunday mornings in order to be acceptable to God, or you know, you can't be a Christian if you drink Mountain Dew. Heaven knows, you know, Lord knows that. I mean, it's, these are just the silly things that ends up end up happening. Um, I can remember times where we were told uh, that, that uh, uh, the Bible you read is is going to make you a Christian or not a Christian. Now, there's there are really horrible translations of the Bible. You know, the two that come to mind immediately are the Mirror Bible and the Passion Translation. They're two horrible translations. They're, 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 they're not worth the paper they're printed on. Um, and that typically comes back to the theology of the people doing the translation. Um, but it's at the same time, if I have someone in my church who's reading the Passion Translation, I'm not going to grab it out of their hands and beat them with it. You know, I'm going to try to educate them as to what they're reading and maybe get them into something that is more closely related to the truth of God's word and not something that's just made up by someone because that's the way they think it and what they think it should say. Uh, You know, how about things like the divinity of Christ, the doctrine of salvation, the Trinity, you know, things that are actually scripturally and biblically important um, as opposed to things that just, they're just not that important. Um, They're not going to impact your salvation. Uh, How about this one? Do we understand that calling out false teachers? And I told you I was going to talk about this, that calling out false teachers is a biblical mandate because it is. Calling out false teachers is a biblical mandate. Now check this out. Ephesians 5, 8 through eleven. It says, For you were once you were once darkness, but now you're a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Uh for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. How do you find out what's acceptable to the Lord? Through his word, right? Uh, and have listen to this. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of, works of darkness, but rather expose them. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. Bring these works of darkness out into the light. Uh, and a work of darkness is something that is going to keep you from the light. It's going to keep you from true salvation. Because there is a... There is a false gospel that is out there, and then there is a true gospel that is out there, and there has to be a clear line drawn between those two. One is going to bring you to the repentance and salvation. One is going to make you feel good about yourself and feel real powerful, uh, but it's not going to bring you to salvation. It's going to bring you to more of the failure that we find in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says just because you're prophesying and doing miracles does not know, does not mean that you're one of mine. Um, doesn't say it exactly that way, but go look it up for yourself, and that's exactly what the intent is. Um, So when you think about – well, what's the other one? Is Matthew uh, 16, 11 through 12. It says, how is it you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They – then they, meaning the disciples, understood that he, meaning Jesus, did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The doctrine – of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Be aware of how uh, – of the, of the yeast of the doctrine. And the, and the yeast is something that when you get it into the dough, you can't get it out. It's something that actually it, – it's going to either make the dough wonderful or it's going to make it horrible. Um, it has a huge impact on the on the entire product. And the same thing, when you start letting bad doctrine in the door – it is going to penetrate, and then there's really no way to get that out. Uh, it's one of those things where the, where the wheat and the tares grow up together, so to speak. Uh, hopefully, you understand that reference. But Jesus called out this kind of false teaching publicly on a regular basis, and we think, well, we shouldn't call out false teachers, you know? Don't be an accuser of the brethren. We got to love one another. This is really wonderful. No. Yes, we need to love each other, and yes, we need to do this with kindness but we do not inside the church we do not tolerate clear false teaching things that are going to lead people away from the truth of scripture and towards some sort of man-made ideology that is either going to take you far away from who you should be in Christ or take you away lead you to uh, to what is can only be looked at as a false christ or a false gospel <sighs> Now the bulk of the responsibility for guarding the gate so to speak rests in the hands of those who are called into called into the ministry pastors teachers apostles prophets evangelists things like that um, the, the the five-fold ministry the people who are supposed to be watching the gospel paying attention to what's going on around them um, this is something that when when we spot this false teaching, we can't just, oh well, you know, maybe this is maybe, may, you know, maybe this is just a different way of looking at it. Um, if that's the case, then maybe you need to go back and study some more, uh, because we're supposed to not just feed the sheep. As shepherds, we're supposed to be carrying a staff and a rod to protect the sheep from wolves, from people who come dressed as sheep bringing something that is not of God, bringing something that is not of the truth. We're supposed to be protecting the sheep from that as well as feeding them. So we need to make sure that we understand that this is part of our biblical mandate. And, uh, of course, we need to do this in a loving way where you care about the other people. But at the end of the day, false teaching is false teaching. Um, And people who are going to teach publicly, unfortunately, typically have to be corrected publicly. Now, everyone that I'm looking into, that we're going to be looking at today, I've tried to connect with. They don't answer. They don't respond, um, which is actually kind of par for the course for them, so to speak. Um, but we'll uh, we'll we'll leave that there. But just know that attempts have been made, but they've never reciprocated, and um, uh, it it is what it is. So, you know, here we go. Uh, so, when it comes to the end times specifically, and this is where we're going to kind of get back to, how does this apply to the end times? Um, the falling away is something when we need to be able to know what it is we're talking about. The falling away of the church is not something that's going to happen overnight. It's not something that's going to happen at the snap of a finger. All It's not going to be a huge portion of the church is just wonderful and connected, and then boom, suddenly a, a huge portion of the church is now a bunch of heretics who are just believing lies. That is not going to happen that way. The falling away of the church is going to happen the same way it has always happened throughout history. It's going to happen one lie at a time that believers— Believe, and they add it to their faith, and it begins to to take them off axis and away from the truth of God. Slowly, and they, they they begin to compromise on the things that matter because they weren't paying attention to other things. It's the little tiny compromises that move us to the point where we're so far away that we don't even we don't even notice anymore. You know, And you see that in a huge portion of the church today that is, has adopted, sex, adopted things that are completely, completely untenable when it comes to biblical truth. I'm just going to leave that there. I think you understand what I'm talking about. Algorithms are what they are, but we'll just call it immoral uh, life choices, and uh, we'll, we'll look at it that way. But huge portions of the church have adopted all this, and they didn't adopt it overnight. They adopted it one lie at a time, one compromise at a time. Until the point where they're not even a church anymore. They're a religious social club uh, trying to help people be good, but they're not actually leading people to Christ, and that needs to be understood. But when you're talking about false teachers within the church, some of the things that we do have to come to terms with is are we talking about simply people that go to a different church if you're a Pentecostal and you're talking about someone who goes to a more conservative church, are they false teachers? No, that that's not necessarily true. There are just as many just there are just as many false teachers in a, in the Pentecostal and charismatic churches as there are in denominational churches. And guess what? There are as many true teachers in the in the charismatic and Pentecostal churches as there are in denominational churches. Just because someone is going to a denominational church does not mean they're sitting under a false teacher you know so we we have to come to terms with that you need to pay attention to what is being taught from the pulpit because i i know of some people in denominational churches who have adopted clearly unbiblical stances but the pastors in the local church have not and they do not teach according to those things they're 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 walking a thin line they have to be careful but they're trying to bring truth to people in these situations so you can't just like just just characterize people in this uh, as, you know, like a one-size-fits-all kind of a thing. It doesn't work that way. You know, being charismatic does not make you right with God any more than being, uh, being uh, you know, Mennonite or Amish or, or, or Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or pick another denomination. It doesn't make any difference. One is not clearly right and one is not clearly wrong. You have to boil it down to the messages coming from the pulpit when you're talking about false teachings and the falling away of the church. So, and uh, I've said this a million times. If you've listened to many listened to me uh, uh, at all over the years, you've you've heard something like this: that there are just as many saved people in churches that are not like yours, as there are unsaved people in churches just like yours, uh, and maybe even yours. You know, are you sure that everybody that attends your church is actually saved, or have they? Just learn how to, uh, how to, how to walk the, you know, how to, how to walk the line, how to use the language right. You know, they don't actually know Christ, but they know religion. Uh, this is, this is something that we have to understand. Um, it is an internal change that makes us right with Christ, not head knowledge. Head knowledge is, is very helpful, but at the end of the day, it's the regenerate person that is made right with Christ. So, excuse me. When we start thinking about the falling away, one of the things that ends up happening and I'm going to be focusing primarily on the char- on the charismatic church. Now to be plain, those of you who know me, I am a charismatic. Um, I am not a cessationist. Um, I believe in the gifts uh, in the gifts of the spirit. I also believe in the offices of the church. and I believe that they are still valid today, um, but just not the way that they tend to begin, tend to get used on a regular basis, but that's a whole other story. <clears throat> that we can look at at another time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Maybe I should take a drink of water instead of joking. All right. So, I am I'm a charismatic, but at the same time, if I'm going to look at a group of Christians, I do not have the right to simply examine people outside of my own uh, circle of influence. I have to start inside and then we can work our way out. So we're going to be looking at some of the big names inside of this movement, and we're going to be examining some of their teaching. And some of this stuff might actually surprise you, some of these things you may have seen before, some of these things you may have heard before. Uh, and I'm not going to try to tell you that you can't listen to these people, but I do want you to be informed as to what they're actually teaching because there's a lot of people that are out, that are out there that are really good people. They really they, they have a, they have a good character they have they have good intentions they want to help people, but the gospel that they're bringing is not the gospel of scripture, and some of them even admit it. They even admit it that there's a they're bringing something new. They're bringing something. Uh, one group actually doesn't even refer it refer to it as the gospel message anymore. They refer to it as the gospel of the kingdom, and there's a reason for that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try to help you understand that. Um, but Part of the reason why you see this happening inside, and I believe that everything that I'm telling you about today, I believe is part of the falling away of the church. That's why I've attached it to this series on the end times. I firmly believe that this is part of the falling away of the church. And we're doing this with our eyes open, fully aware that we should be watching out for this, but not seeing it even though it's right in front of us. So that's, that's why this is here. So as we're, as we're going, understand this but i think part of the reason why this happens is because you have a group of people within the church who basically when you think of something like this they say you have the bible but i have the spirit and so this this podcast is dedicated to biblical authority above above everything biblical authority you may not agree with my, some of my conclusions but that's fine that's 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 uh i don't have a problem with that um because I might not agree with yours. <laughs> but we can still, we can still walk together. But at the end of the day, um, it, it, when people say, you have the Bible, but I have the Spirit, that has been going on in the Charismatic Church for so long, it has, it has actually become something we don't even pay attention to much anymore. But I want you to think about what that statement really means. You may have the Word of God, but I have the spirit of god so what i have is greater than what you have and i hear this over and over and over again that god is going to continue to to bring new new revelation to his people and the only those who are willing to hear are going to hear it and this is a this is a this is a charismatic call that has been going out for for a very long time but what ends up happening is that people take what they believe the spirit is saying to them and they value it greater than the word of god they value it over their written word, and that, I believe, is what the problem is. So let me, let me take you to something. First John 4.1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So now the question has to be asked, how do you test these spirits? So can you hear from God today? I believe yes, absolutely. You can hear from God today. But we're not supposed to just believe everything that we hear is actually from God. Uh, one of the one of the scary truths about about our uh, our existence in the church is that that the Holy Spirit is not the only Spirit at work on this earth. There are evil there there is evil around us that that can can influence us in the same way. You know the Bible tells us that even the devil comes disguised as an angel of light. So just because you hear something or you perceive something does not mean it's from God. And the Bible knows that, so the Bible gives us this warning: test every spirit. Now you got to ask the question: How do you test every spirit? There's only one way to test every spirit. And that is comparing it against the word of God. That is the only test of the spirit. If, if, when you when you test the spirit against the word, then you know that, 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 what that what that spirit is bringing to you is going to be in line with the character and nature of God as given to us in his word. Because God is never going to tell you something that is going to go against his written word. It is never going to happen. So if you believe God is speaking to you something and it is something new that you can't corroborate with scripture – that's not from God, but we see this constantly, especially in the charismatic church tradition. This is, this is probably our biggest problem. My personal view is this is our biggest problem is that we have devalued the word of God and we have amplified the value of whatever we think God is speaking to us, rather he is or not. And we've even told people and you may have heard this before because you have the mind of Christ everything you think is what God thinks. No. That's not. We're told through scripture over and over again not to trust us, not to trust our mind, not to trust our hearts because we are we are we are undeniably wicked, we are broken in every way. So why would we trust ourselves over the written word of God? We shouldn't. We should be Viewing everything we see and hear that we think God is doing into us through the lens of Scripture. But instead, too many of us are viewing Scripture through the lens of our experience and what we think God is teaching, is, is, is telling us at the moment. And we can't do that. It is absolutely backwards. We are not uh, – whatever voice is within is never going to be greater than the word on the page. And we need to come to that understanding. Otherwise, the, the, the word of God has no authority. And then God becomes some sort of schizophrenic because he believed one thing one day and something else another day. That's not how God is. The Bible tells us uh, tells us i think it's Malachi three six that I'm the Lord. I do not change. He is the same yesterday today forever. so the only ones who can be wrong in that situation is us, so we need to come to terms with that. so there are a couple things that we can do in relationship to Learning to spot false teachers so that we can actually try to keep as many on the path as possible. Because remember, the the goal here is not to be right. The goal here is to be faithful. Uh, being right is 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 not that difficult. Being faithful is hard. Okay. So when you think about this, um, a false teacher should not be confused with a false teaching. So when we're starting to look at at how do you spot a false teacher within the church, a false Teaching does not necessarily make someone a false teacher. Now, that may seem like a complete contradiction, but let me help you understand what I mean. Um, when you go to Acts 18, 24 through 26, you read about Apollos. Apollos is actually a mighty man in Scripture. He was an early first century evangelist. He actually partnered with Paul. But here's a cool thing about Apollos, uh, and you're going to see this in what I'm going to read you here in just a minute. Apollos was not converted by Christ apollos was converted by john the baptist so he was converted before the cross so he didn't understand the fulfillment of the cross he was preaching the salvation that he knew from john as as much as he could he's referred to as a mighty man in the scripture but he was missing he was missing key details within his message now check this out acts 18 24 through 26 A certain man, a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately. So, what he was teaching was, 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 was good. uh, The things of the Lord. Um, uh, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now that tells us right there, that tells us that he was missing pieces. There was something, what he was teaching might've been good and it might've been true, but he was missing pieces. Okay. So his teaching was not completely accurate. All right. So just see it. So in verse 26, what happens? So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla, the two people that were following Paul at the time, heard him. Now listen to what happens. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They explained to him the way of God more accurately. So they took him aside, corrected the message. He corrected what he was speaking, and he went out and he kept, kept, kept preaching. So having not necessarily all the right details does not make you a false teacher, but one of the things I want to pay, I want you to see, is in this context. One of the things that we can clearly see is a true teacher is correctable. They don't have to be right all the time. They don't have to be perfect. Anyone who speaks for a living or or or, or preaches or teaches knows at some point in time you're going to say something that isn't quite right. It might be just a slip of the tongue. It might just be your brain shut off for a second. It might be that you actually believe something that isn't actually accurate because that happens. But at the same time. What's going to happen when you get corrected? What are you going to do when someone actually brings the truth to you? How are you going to respond to it? That is, is the key. Apollos, a mighty man in the scriptures, allowed himself to be corrected. Changed his message and he moved on. Now one of the things I want to point out here, I always, whenever I get a chance I point this out. So one of the people that corrected the mighty man of God was a woman. It was a lady. A lady corrected the mighty man. The mighty man listened, thanked her, and moved on. Okay, so we got to make sure that we're dealing with what a true false teacher is. Now, I want to give you three markers. Okay, three things that you can see in the life of a false teacher, as opposed to someone that just has a not necessarily a hundred percent accurate message okay other than just being correctable false teachers don't allow you to correct them it's just a natural trait you're always the one that has it has it wrong you're always the one that uh, uh, that isn't seeing it or understanding it right or my favorite trait of a false teacher is that you are just not spiritual enough to understand the mysteries of God the way they do okay whatever so I just when I find people like that, I generally just, just move on because it's not worth, it's not worth the argu- the argument. Um, but here's a couple things to be thinking of. The first, first one is this. A false teacher is one who teaches from a source other than scripture. Uh, so think about that. A false teacher is one who teaches from a source other than scripture. So in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of god may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work so someone who is actually trying to honor god through the ministry of the scripture is going to through the ministry of of uh, of reconciliation through the gospel is going to stay connected to one thing above all to the scriptures the scriptures our are, are our Our primary guide; they are the go-to for all of our answers. If we want to know if this is right or that, or or, or if something's wrong, we go to the scriptures, not how we personally feel about it. How we personally feel about it is irrelevant. What the scripture says about it—that is what we're supposed to be paying attention to. So, whether your pastor or denomination or your church or your or your people that you hang out with agree or not, it doesn't matter. If scripture says it's wrong, it's wrong. If scripture says it's right, it's right, period. That's where we need to come back to. So I want to show you a clip of a couple of things being taught, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. And hopefully this is going to come up correctly. Um, So yeah, so here you go.
1: I think it's interesting that the Bible doesn't include a list of the apostles teaching, because I think, I think. There are things that are always true, but there are also things that he is saying now that he wasn't emphasizing in a previous season. So it's difficult to expect the same fruit of the early church when we value a book they didn't have more than the Holy Spirit they did have. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible.
0: So in that particular clip right at the end, one of the things that Bill Dun- Johnson does is he goes on to talk about, uh, cause you gotta give, make sure you don't take these things out of context, but the, the shorter clips are because some of these churches have begun suing people for using different, different pieces, uh, of their media, uh, because they don't like being examined. <laughs> um, but one of the things Bill Johnson will do in that, in that last clip, uh, is he'll talk about the truth of Scripture. And he'll talk about how Scripture is definitely, is definitely the Word of God. But then he goes to, what you heard at the end. It's the voice of the Spirit that is important, not the word on the page. Now, one of the hallmark sayings in uh, in, in Bethel is that you have to be willing to go what they call off the map. Uh, and what they mean by that is you need, that the Bible is only the beginning of understanding. And you have to be willing to take risks and go beyond what the Bible is teaching to, to, to really get the good stuff. Now, I can't even begin to tell you how dangerous that is because there is no, there is no path there. The only thing that is there is if it feels right, don't think twice. And that is not scripture. That is not the gospel. That is not what Christ has empowered us to do. Uh, But there are reasons why he believes this way. We're going to get to it here in the next section. But when you look at this, I got to ask the question, how can anyone Calling themselves a pastor, calling themselves a man of God, actually tell people with a straight face not to put their full trust in the written word of God. Now that first clip that you saw when he said, you know, there are things that were always true and then there are things that God is emphasizing today. When he says that, he, that he's glad that the Bible doesn't conclude a list of the apostles' teachings, I have to laugh at that. I have to laugh at that because it's one of the most ridiculous statements I've ever heard in 27 years of ministry. It's one of the most idiotic things that I've ever heard. And this is why. The Bible is the list of the apostles' teachings. The New Testament is the list of the apostles' teachings. This shouldn't even be an argument about this. I'm going to do my best to not get worked up about it because it drives me insane. Now, Let's just look at some of the scriptures associated to this kind of thinking. Because what this kind of thinking does is it opens, you, opens your, it opens you up to allowing things other than scripture to be what teaches you. So this is what I mean by you teach from a different source. Scripture's good, but boy, the voice from within is even better. So if God is leading you in that direction because the spirit of God is in you, then you're doing whatever God wants you to do. And that is not the case. It's not even remotely close to being truth. But check this out. Don't let don't listen to me. Let's listen to listen to listen to the Bible defend itself. Uh, let's see, I need to get there we go. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who is rightfully dividing the word of truth. Rightfully dividing. Okay, let's keep going. Romans 15 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through patience through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope through the patient and comfort of the scriptures might have hope about this how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word. You want to know how to live right? You go back to the scriptures, not what the voice inside you is going to, going to say. Because it, it, the, an interesting thing is I can talk myself into anything. If, if I want something to be right, if I want to justify an ungodly behavior in my mind, I am the one who's going to be able to do it. There is no one more capable of deceiving me than me. So we go back to the word of God as our only source. How about this one? Sanctify them by your truth, your word. Is truth. Now, one of the things that the Bill Johnson said in this in this in these clips was, you know, why would we value a book they didn't have in the first century over the spirit that they did have? And that actually begs the question: Is that, that is a historically accurate statement? Did they not have scripture or even collections of scripture at that time? Now we know full well that the church had the Old Testament writings throughout throughout the first uh, the first century. That wasn't that's not even not even debatable. But did they have the New Testament writings? Well, the answer might surprise you, but the, the 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 bulk of the the bulk of them they did have, the most of the ones that we have today they did have, and they actually referred to them as scripture. So let me give you an example. This is Second uh, Peter three fourteen through sixteen. It says, "Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless." Okay. And consider that long, that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul. So this is Peter talking about Paul. Okay. According to the wisdom given to him has written to you. According to the wisdom given to Paul, he has written to you as also in all his, what's that word? Epistles. Epistles. That's what we call them today. That's what we call them today in relationship to our Bible. They, they were the same thing. The writings of Paul's, the letters to the churches, they're referring to them as epistles. And let's keep going. It says, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. So you look, some of these things are really difficult, but listen to this last part, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Now listen read that last part again. As they also do the rest of the scriptures. Peter is referring to the writings of Paul in the first century. And he's writing this to other churches. Other people are going to see this. And he is establishing Paul's writings in the first century as scripture. As scripture. And what does he say about people who who don't who don't abide? By the writings of Paul. By the way, this is Peter, the guy who walked with Jesus. He calls them untaught and unstable. Untaught and unstable people twist the writings of Paul to their own destruction as they do the rest of scriptures. That's pretty direct, isn't it? So when you have teachers, when you're, when you're with someone and they tell you, when you hear something like, I know what the Bible says, but... And they're almost always – and remember, we're talking about the charismatic tradition specifically. Almost always you're going to hear, it, but the Spirit of God spoke to me telling me, stop. Just stop. None of that is valid. None of that is valid. Anything that, that a spirit may speak to me that is outside of the written word of God is wrong, period. And Scripture tells me this because I'm to test that spirit. But if I just commit myself to this, to the scriptures, I have everything I need. I have everything I need. I can be fully equipped for all good works because of the scriptures. If I just commit myself to them. Now, number two, because I don't want this to go too long. Let's see, where am I at this point? I'm at 49 minutes. Wow. Okay. All right. So false teachers... The second thing about false teachers is they bring a message different than the gospel of salvation. Okay? They bring a message different than the gospel of salvation. So I want you to, to listen to a couple of things here. So uh, I'm going to read you an excerpt from Bill Johnson's book, When Heaven Invades Earth. This is a very popular book that he has. And, you know, most of the people that I know, that I've talked to, who have read it, don't even remember reading this part. It was just glossed over, um, and probably because of what he's actually speaking of. But I want you to pay attention to what he's saying here specifically. He says, bowlers know this. Each lane not only has 10 pins at the far end, but it also has markers in the lane itself. A good bowler knows how his or her ball rotates as it is released from the hand. Bowlers will aim at a marker in the lane as an initial target, yet they, ha- they receive no points for hitting it. Points are only given when the ultimate target is hit, the pins at the end of the lane. Okay. So the marker in the lane is something that doesn't really count. It's just a, it's just a sight line. It's just something that you got to kind of deal with in order to really get to the target. That's what he's saying here. Now let's keep going right from this spot. He says, likewise, salvation, salvation was not the ultimate goal of Christ's coming salvation was not the ultimate goal of Christ's coming. He says it was the immediate target, the marker in the lane. Without accomplishing redemption, there was no hope for the ultimate goal, which was to fill each born-again person with the Holy Spirit. Now, doesn't that sound very charismatic? That sounds so wonderfully charismatic. It is also completely contrary to everything that Scripture teaches us about Jesus. It is the—it's it, it's not even the other side of the coin. It's not even— It's not even on the coin. It is so far off from the truth. This is one of the first things that I learned that, that made me stop and begin to examine Mr. Bill Johnson. I was a, I was a Bethel loyalist for a long time. Loved the music. I I thought it was just wonderful. I saw him live once and it made me stop and go, wait, what? He made some claims that i, I there's just there's no way that, no it just made me stop and made me start thinking a little more critically and then I started examining some of his work and when you find things like this you realize okay who am I actually following here what' what what is actually happening here what is this person really teaching now the reason, just like I told you before when you talk about teaching from a different source, that you've got to follow the voice within because the voice within is really where God is trying to speak to you. It links up with this kind of mentality for a specific reason, okay? And you got to kind of put these dots together. The reason that he lines these things up, the reason he doesn't believe that the ultimate goal of Christ's coming is salvation but instead the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is because his core foundation is based on something called dominion theology, or also known as kingdom now theology. And the basic premise of this, and I don't have time to get into it today because it's a whole series all by itself. Um, the whole, the, the basic premise is, is, is around what is called the seven mountain mandate. Uh, now the seven mountain mandate, just real cliff notes, is basically there are seven essential areas of influence in the world. And that is the responsibility of the church to make sure that we have people in those areas of influence, like music and government, society and finance, and things like that, so it's 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 not the seven mountains by themselves. I don't have an issue with that. They are real areas of influence, and the church should have people in those areas to keep influence in those 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 um, those key areas of our world. But that's not what he's talking about. Dominion theology is that the reason why we have to take these mountains, and that's the terminology they use, we have to take these mountains is because it is our responsibility as Christians – this is what they teach – it is our responsibility as Christians to make the earth like heaven – so that Jesus can come back. So we are supposed to become so spiritually powerful, okay, so spiritually capable, so commanding of the of the spiritual forces in this world that we can actually make this world like heaven so Jesus will return. That is a foundational teaching of dominion theology, kingdom now theology and that is a core principle taught and believed by Bill Johnson and, and his, his organization, uh, Bethel, Bethel Redding. All of their theology is based around that. It's based around that. It's based around your ability to become some sort of spiritual giant so that you can command things like healings, you can command things like prophecy, and you can you get to tell the Holy Spirit what to do instead of the other way around in order to make this thing happen. So when you read things like this, that's the goal. Okay, This isn't just bad theology. This is completely biblically untenable. You cannot connect this to the gospel mission of Christ himself. In order to have that view, you have to take Jesus out of the way, and salvation has to be a secondary issue, which is exactly what he's talking about in this passage. Now, most of his writing is in this direction. Now, And once you know that about him, you begin to understand that this is the direction that they're trying to go in. And that's the problem. Because now, you're not leading people to the gospel of salvation. You're leading people to what he calls the gospel of the kingdom. Okay? The gospel of the kingdom. Because it's about bringing the kingdom together now so that jesus will return but that's not what the gospel message is the gospel message is about hope and salvation but he's not the only person in the movement that that believes along these lines about this this move towards incredible spiritual authority of the individual so let me let me give you a couple of other quotes here Uh, this is from peter Wagner. he says contrary to what some people may think however it is not the responsibility of all believers nor even church uh, nor even church pastor to hear directly what the spirit is saying to the churches. Convenient, right? He says apostles are the ones who have been given primary responsibility for hearing what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now this is this is disturbing in a couple different ways, because what you're saying here is that that it is the responsibility of those who refer to themselves as apostles or who have been declared apostles to tell the church what they're supposed to be doing. That's the authority that he's claiming here. Now that's convenient when you're one of the few people that you believe has the authority to declare other people apostles. Now, normally, I would not have a problem with this kind of statement. You know, if you go back to the first century, yes, the apostles were the ones that had the truth. So if you're looking at the first century, you're absolutely there. Now, the question is, does the rest of what he's teaching line up so closely with what Jesus was teaching, with what scripture is teaching us, that it would make this a legitimate statement? No. Let me read you another, another quote from one of his other books that helps you understand why this becomes quite scary. This is again from C. Peter Wagner. He says, I suggest that it may be possible to receive selected but valid information from the world of darkness itself. Certain people such as shamans, witch doctors, practitioners of Eastern religions, New Age gurus, prof- professors of the occult on university faculties are examples of the kind of people who may have much more extensive knowledge of the spirit world than most Christians have. Now I can't even begin to tell you how completely mind-blowingly scary this is now myself i come from before i became before i was a christian i came i was uh i was a wiccan i was following i you know i have you know i'm i'm short i have red hair so i i knew i had this sort of scottish irish background so i was in college i started playing around with witchcraft and so i got into it at that point so when i became a christian i had a pretty extensive understanding of the of the world of darkness that he's talking about here and the idea that a christian can even consider Consider the idea that we could learn something useful from that world is mind-blowing. It is absolutely mind-blowing that this could even be a consideration. But I know other people in the church who completely agree with this. And it is terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying. But it doesn't surprise me because Bethel Church endorses a lot of pagan practices. I won't get into it now, but everything from tarot cards to Ouija boards, as long as you put a Christian name on it, you know, destiny cards and angel boards, you may have heard those terms. Those are pagan practices, folks. Um, it's 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 scary to see it. But this is the difference between the gospel of salvation and dominion theology thinking uh, that leads you in a different direction. So I'm going to play you another clip uh, of a, a few other people talking about this in the same direction, a different message than the gospel of salvation and delegitimizing the actual scriptures. So we'll take a look at this. You might recognize some of these people.
1: Peter, James, Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from their Jewish scriptures. And my friends, we must as well. The old covenant, The Old Covenant Law of Moses was not the go-to source regarding sexual behavior in the church. More importantly, and perhaps more disturbingly, that's a word, or offensively, the Old Testament, or the Law and the Prophets, as they called it, was not gonna be the go-to source for any behavior in the church. To make this point, because this is so important, I originally, in my notes, I was gonna put a screen up here that said, in other words, that means, thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments. But I knew someone would take a picture of that. I personally believe that I can make a choice for people. See, but if I'm a believer that can see, and God says that anything I ask according to his will, he'll give it to me. He says that anything I ask in prayer, believing that I've received it, I'll receive it. He says that God's desire is that none perish, but that all be saved and come to the knowledge of him. Yeah. If that's what God's word says, and I'm a believer that's empowered with truth and I serve the King of glory, then I can actually claim somebody that doesn't believe, and there's no way for them to get... Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord God's upon you. Why? So you can get totally well, and everyone with you gets well. For what reason? So you can rebuild room cities. I'm pointing out that the gospel is about... It's not the gospel of salvation, it's the gospel of the kingdom. We weren't supposed to go everywhere preaching salvation, which is good, but you know, salvation is onto something bigger. Salvation is the entrance into the kingdom.
0: So, hopefully, you kind of heard some of that, especially at the end. Where he's talking about it's not the gospel of salvation; it's the gospel of the kingdom. That's dominion theology. That's that's the core of dominion theology. And this is a constant thing. In the beginning, you see Andy Stanley. He actually he actually teaches his church that the Ten Commandments don't don't apply to them because they're not Jews. The 10 commandments don't apply to you because you're not Jews, really? Have no other god before uh be, before me? Um uh, uh uh you know, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, honor your mother. These things don't apply to me? Because I'm not a Jew? Are you serious? I think this falls under the destructive heresies that we were talking about earlier. So just in those clips you look at, the 10 commandments are no longer valid for today. At least that's what they're trying to say that Jesus didn't come to bring salvation. And then you have Todd White talking about being able to claim someone's salvation for them because he just asks God for it. Um, Do these guys know anything about the gospel mission? Do they understand salvation at any level? Do they actually know what they're talking about? Because it doesn't look like it. It doesn't sound like it. Because now they're talking about, Something completely different, which the Bible refers to as false Christs, uh, to the point where we even hear C. Peter Wagner talking about getting spiritual advice from the demonic. I mean, I, I don't even know how to how to approach that. But if we go back to Scripture, if we go back to biblical authority, we can see how God is warning us about this from the very beginning and how this can apply to what we what we were talking about, the falling away of the church. Well, how can the church combat this in relationship to the end times well listen to this john 3 16 uh, 3 verse 16 through 18 Uh, let me get uh, here we go it says for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that look 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 but that through uh, but that the world through him might be saved might be saved this is the reason Jesus showed up. It says he who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now it'd be interesting if this verse said, "But that you know the, God didn't send His Son to condemn the world, but to empower believers with the with the Holy Spirit." That's not what it says. We're told over and over again the purpose of Jesus coming was that the world through Him might be saved. That is the only message that we have. The only one that matters. How about John 10, 9? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastor. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth uh, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How about this? Uh, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will by no means pass away from the law till it all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does and teaches uh, whoever does and teaches them he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven these are things absolutely contrary to what these guys are teaching this is what i mean by the falling away of the church is happening right in front of us and most of us are seeing it and not recognizing it now check this out deuteronomy 18:9-13 all the way back to the old testament it says, when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes a son or daughter pass through the fire. We're talking about child sacrifice. You can relate that to abortion today if you want to because it fits. Or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer. Or anyone who interprets omens or a sorcerer. Or who uh, inquires, uh, who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritualist. Or who calls upon the dead. For all, listen to this, for all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. Look at that right at the bottom, verse 13. But you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. How can a man of God say that we can learn things from people in places of darkness when Scripture itself says that all who do these things, all who are associated with these things, are an abomination to the Lord? How do we make that jump? We make that jump one small compromise at a time, and we make it because we believe as Peter Wagner does, as Bill Johnson does, as many other people in that organization do. And by the way, that organization is referred to as the New Apostolic Reformation. If you're not familiar who, with who they are, there's plenty of information out there. You can go look it up. It's the it's the Dominion Theology. It is a counter-theology to the, to, the, to the gospel of Christ. It is a false theology. It is a false gospel. People are eating it up. They love it because it makes them feel powerful. Okay, last one because this is getting long. I apologize for that. A false teacher has a different end goal of our faith. A false teacher directs people. So the end goal of our faith is to remove ourselves and to be obedient to Christ. It's the constant death of self and the constant adaptation, uh, uh, bringing ourselves in alignment with the character and nature of God found through the word of God. That's That's the process of the Christian life. But a false teacher has a different end goal for faith. It's not to make you more humble and make you more of a servant. It's to make you more powerful and to make you more, uh, more of a force, more of a, uh, 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 more of a spiritual tool than it is to make you humble, to make you less. To go back to what John the Baptist says, I've got to decrease so he can increase. So think about this. I'm gonna show. Well, I'm gonna show you one more clip, and we'll uh, uh, we'll quickly walk through it because I don't want to. I don't want to belabor this. Um, so here
1: you go. Here's a, here's another clip. See, if Jesus didn't do what he did as a man, there's nothing for us to model. There's no model for us. And then we're always left. with Well, that was Jesus. No, Jesus was tempted at all points. He was tempted at points that none of us have ever been tempted at. He was tempted at all points for everyone in every area. All of it. Jesus was. And he sinned not. He never, ever, ever, ever gave a license to his flesh to sin. Guys, are you hearing me? When it comes to the miraculous, if you don't understand this, then you can't pray for the sick. Why? Because that was Jesus. I'm not Jesus. No, Jesus never healed the sick as God. Jesus healed the sick as a man in perfect relationship with God. I don't know how far to go with you guys. All three of them refer to people. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. I could show you the seven seals from the New Testament. Seven times it says you're sealed. The sealed book is you. He's the Word, the volume of the book it is written of Him. We express the Word. We are the Word made flesh again. We are the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. The corporate expression. I refuse to create a theology that allows for sickness. Now here we got a problem. Only one. It's a small one. The Apostle Paul gives a warning in Galatians, and he says this. He says, if I, he's the one who brought the gospel to them. he said, if I or even an angel comes to you and preaches to you a different gospel, you're to reject it. Paul refers to his thorn in the flesh, which has been interpreted by many as disease allowed or brought on by God. That's a different gospel. You know, we started the prophetic in Weaverville years ago. There was no, zero prophetic, zero. So I'd get men, sit around a table. And I'd turn to the one on my right and say, if Jesus were to walk in the room right now, what do you think he'd say? And he'd go, oh, I think he'd say. And I'd go to the next one. We'd go all the way around the room. And after we got all the way around the room, I'd say, do you realize... That you all just prophesied? And they're like, it's that easy.
0: That's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So Todd White actually had a really good exposition right up to the point where he declared Jesus just a man. Jesus just a man. Just a man in right standing with God, and he actually even says, "If he wasn't, then we have nothing to model. Then we have no model for ourselves. We have nothing to attain." You see, if Jesus did things as God, as he says it, then 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 you know that he's always going to be more than we could ever achieve. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where the bad part is at. In, in, is in that? Now this is called kenosis, and this is basically uh, a, a, a a a
1: I'm
0: trying to use. Acceptable language, a mistreatment of the scripture that Jesus laid down his divinity. Here's a problem with this thinking. If you decide to, to declare Jesus not God, while while he's on Earth, not God, but a man, a, a mortal man in right standing with God, and I think it was uh, Joel Osteen's wife. I can't remember her name. That actually said that um, Jesus was just a man until he was filled with the Holy Spirit at his, at his baptism. It was just a man until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. What a what a horrible, her- heretical thing to say. Because here's what you're saying when you say that. That if Jesus was just a man in right standing with God, then any man who could have walked in right standing with God could have taken Jesus' place on the cross. That's what you're saying. When you decide that Jesus was just a man and that everything he did he did as a man, then what you're saying is any one of us could have potentially taken Jesus' place on the cross. I can only see that as heresy. I can only see that as a complete and total misinterpretation of the plan of God and the purpose of God and the, the, the prophecies associated with Christ. If Jesus was just a man, are you kidding me? Jesus came to do what no man had the ability to do, and he did it as God. He laid aside his divinity because he didn't put himself in a special place, but he absolutely, absolutely walked in power that we would never have. I can't think of anyone on the planet who's ever walked up to someone who was possessed by a legion of demons and had that had that legion of demons beg that person to allow them to go into a herd of pigs because they didn't want to be tormented by them. You're so powerful that I can't even stand to be in your sight. Let us go into those pigs so that we can just get away from you. Are you telling me that, that, that a man in right standing with God would have that power? Give me a break. Give me a break. That is wishful thinking at its worst. Jesus was God, and that was the point. That was the point. God paid the price that we were not able to pay, and he paid it through the life of his own son. I'm going to leave that just there. Let's take a look at a couple scriptures that help us understand this a little better. 2 Corinthians 12, 1-7. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that you, were, that you were Gentiles, carried away by these dumb idols, however you, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit, listen to this last line, is given to each one for the profit of all. It's given as the Spirit wills. Now I want you to think about this. The reason why Paul says in this section, I don't want you to be ignorant brothers, is because they come, he's talking to the church in Corinth, they come from pagan Uh, you know, witchcraft style worship. And in that type of worship, what you would do is you would get to a place where your God was so impressed with you, so impressed with your piety, that that God, that little g God, would endow you with some sort of spiritual ability. And that spiritual ability was now yours to command, so to speak. It's the way they looked at it. So when you have people coming out of that situation and they're coming into the Christian Church, a church that is based based on humility and service and commitment to God, and knowing that all of our power and ability, any authority that we may have in the spiritual world comes from God and it has only become God because God uh, because of God, that that authority is there and it's not actually our authority. We actually come in the authority of the king, not in our own authority. so Paul does not want them to be ignorant. Of spiritual gifts they're not about you they're not for you and when you walk and you lay your hands on someone and you pray for them you're not the one getting the gift of healing they are when you feel God speaking to you about somebody else and you you bring a word of knowledge or a prophetic word to them you're not getting the gift they are Touching, putting your hands on someone who is sick and, and seeing them get well does not make you a healer. It just proves that God is the healer. You are a vessel through whom which healing is being delivered to another vessel. When God pours out his spirit and he, and, 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 and prophecy comes through you to somebody else, that does not make you a prophet. You're someone that God is using in the prophetic. This is the difference between an office and a spiritual gift. And Paul doesn't want them to be ignorant because People who are ignorant of spiritual gifts believes that they believe that they can attain them. People who are ig- please listen to this. People who are ignorant of spiritual gifts believe that they can attain them, and when they attain them, they are now, they are now at their beck and call. So when people like Bill Johnson say, I, re- I refuse to create a, a theology that allows for sickness, I had a couple of questions for him. One, why are you creating theology? You don't create theology. We read the Bible, and theology is given to us. Theology has already been spelled out for us in Scripture. It's right there. We're not creating it. And a theology that allows for sickness? Are you kidding me? Now here's a funny thing. When he talks about Paul's thorn in the flesh, (laughs) to me this is, this is always going to be funny. When he talks about Paul's thorn in the flesh, Paul's thorn in the flesh, historically speaking, uh, it is believed that he had bad eyesight. Essentially he needed glasses. Now I want you to, I want you to understand something. From the stage, Bill Johnson, who is wearing glasses, is criticizing someone from the first century before glasses were invented who needed glasses, claiming that God would never allow a servant of his to need something like that while he's wearing glasses on the stage. By the way, in his own family, in his own children, in his own in his own immediate family, there are hearing issues, there are cancer issues, and there are you know, multiple people wearing glasses and wearing hearing aids. So now let me get this straight. O mighty man of God, who cannot uh, won't allow a theology that allows for sickness, who has sickness through his own family and on his own body, the very person who he's criticizing in terms of that sickness has the same had the same affliction in the first century, before the solution that he's wearing on his own face for the exact same sickness. Are you kidding me? I mean, think about this. This is just this is just ridiculous. But this is why Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant of these things. We're supposed to pursue a relationship with Christ. The spiritual gifts come and go as the Spirit pleases. They're not at our beck and call. The Holy Spirit is not at my beck and call. I don't tell the Holy Spirit what to do. And the people who think they do... Oh absolutely every time I lay hands on someone they're they're healed. Please let me know if you're one of those people cuz I will buy you a plane ticket and send you out to St. Jude's Children's Hospital or to any other major uh uh you know injury uh, facility around the world. I will personally fly you there and put you up in a five-star hotel if you will empty that hospital please. But the problem is none of them will do it because they all know that these gifts are not at their beck and call. They are at the behest of the Lord himself and sometimes the answer that god gives us is no. So this this idea is just absolutely ridiculous, but this is the difference. You want to per, you want to push people into a place where they become the source of power. They become the ones who wield the authority. They become the ones with all the answers. When in fact, it's not the case. How about this one, Romans 10:9. If you confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Oh this this is a pretty clear theology, isn't it? Isn't it pretty simple? How about this one? Oh uh let's see. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, we am moving right along. Uh Acts four twelve, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So if just if, if any man could have taken the place of God then why do we have scriptures like this? Could it have been if you confess with your mouth uh, uh, that 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 John or Bob or Tom or Harry or whoever else you think was good enough to to be on the cross uh, uh, is Lord? Can, can we really believe in our mind even for a second that another name could have been put in that place? No, of course not. There is no other name, and there never never has been. There never will be. It's a very simple fact that Jesus came to bring us salvation. Jesus came to bring everything that we that we were going to need. Jesus came to bridge the gap between us and heaven, and that gap is sin. Jesus came for the purpose of salvation, and the end goal of that relationship is us connected to him, not our personal gain in authority and spiritual power, or however we want to say it. It's got nothing to do with it. Okay, I don't think I need to keep going, um, because there's plenty that can be done but this is what i mean by the falling away of the church the falling away of the church is not something that is going to happen i've said this from the from the beginning this is not something that's going to happen immediately this is something that's going to happen slowly this is going to happen one fallacy at a time when we refuse to recognize when people are going off they're going off center they're going away from the truth they're going away from the reality of salvation through christ and christ alone Second Timothy four, one through five says, "I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Look at this, preach the word. Be ready in in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they, uh, when they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn." Their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. They will turn aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What was the ministry that Paul was talking about there? What was he encouraging Timothy to do? He was encouraging Timothy to do one thing, to bring the one gospel that they were instructed. The one gospel. To bring it to everyone willing to hear it. And that gospel is really simple. Salvation through Christ. That we are saved by faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Well, as the reformers would say it, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone. Anything else is unnecessary. Anything else is a different gospel. Anything else is a side issue. If we stay focused on that, we know exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And if we stay focused on that as a church, then we are more than, more likely to keep people from what we are told is coming, to keep people from this falling away. But when we start getting, we start turning our ears away from the truth, and we start turning our attention to fables by false teachers. False teachers are people in the church. We can see that. It's happening all over the place. I think we put ourselves in a place where we become not someone who should be aware of the falling away of the church, but we become supporters of the falling away of the church uh, because we refuse to stay focused on the truth and the truth is Christ in Christ alone. So I hope that helps. I hope that was uh useful for you. I, apologize that it was as long as it was when we got oof yeah so uh you might have watched this in two settings um lord bless you have a fantastic evening and uh yeah um stay tuned for uh you know more podcasts down the road i'll be doing some more uh work with my friend joe coming down the road we got some really interesting uh tag team podcasts there for you we're going to be talking about we just released one on women in the ministry. I hope you had a chance to look at that. We're going to be talking about tithing next because, hey, if you're going to do controversial issues, why not tackle that one? Uh, but then we're going to be talking about, um, uh, the, uh, the history and the calendar, the Jewish calendar, uh, and the Jewish history. And, uh, and then later in the year, we're, uh, at the beginning of next year, we're going to be talking about the, uh, antediluvian uh, time frame and, and the pre flood world and, and some of the things associated with that. It should be a lot of fun, good conversation. Um, but, uh, that's down the road. So, uh, thanks for tuning in today. Appreciate it. Uh, like and share this video, uh, and this podcast. And Lord bless you. Have a great night. See you.